The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. All right, guys, it is Friday, March 26th, episode 120. Today, I have David Waxman, CEO at Waxman. So Waxman is a communications consultancy on the front lines of forward-thinking technology companies such as blockchain startups and projects. Mr. Waxman himself is a pretty cool guy that enjoys bridging media and emerging technologies. Also, be sure to go to blockhashresearch.com and sign up for the new newsletter. It is completely free. You'll get a free analysis of a determined crypto for the week and whether or not it's a good or bad trading opportunity from both perspectives. Anyways, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and Waxman. Enjoy. Waxman with an X. That's right. (laughs) How you doing? Good, Brandon. Thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Happy to have you here. Um, yeah, before we kind of you know jump in and start talking about you know what you guys do and everything and and Waxman, tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm I'm curious about like your background and like how you kind of decided to get into this space and also into like the the PR media side of the space too. Um, and then like what that motivation was. So yeah, give me a little bit of background. So I, I've been actually in PR for a little, I was in PR for a few years before I, I started Waxman, but uh, I was actually at Ogilvy and Mather uh, a couple of years before that, which is a large advertising agency. And I saw the power that branding can bring. It was, it was phenomenal. And uh, at the perch I was personally at at the time, I saw some really amazing companies dramatically impacted by a rebrand or a refresh or just a new way of communicating what they do to mm-hmm. companies. Uh, or sorry, to their clients, whether it was B2C or B2B. Um, anyway, this, in 2014, I discovered Bitcoin because I happened to meet in a bar in New York, the CEO of a Bitcoin exchange coin called Coinsetter. And he convinced me that Bitcoin was the future. So started working with him in 2014. One year later, he told me, you really need to start your own firm. And so I took him at his word and founded Wax in 2015 with a Bitcoin exchange, a Bitcoin software wallet, hardware wallet, mining pool, a Bitcoin ATM network and a blockchain focused VC. So we had like a menu of options for reporters. And that was the beginning of the company. That was 2015. I was a one man shop. And now we're uh, 75 plus people between New York, Dublin and Singapore. How did he convince you that Bitcoin was the, you know, the next big thing, the thing to get into? Like, was there something about it then that was like super appealing in particular? So what struck me, and this required several drinks, 
was that Bitcoin actually had value because it was able to, for the first time, impose digital scarcity. Mm-hmm. And that required understanding, or at least the very precept of proof of work um, and kind of how, quote unquote, governance works when it comes to Bitcoin so that no one can change this. It's very, very hard to change the potential supply of Bitcoin and the issuance rate, which is essentially inflation, um, predetermined algorithmic inflation. And um, that was really interesting. That's when I understood that this could be valuable because before that, right, everything you could just, you could just copy and paste money. I, I just remember sure. online games where, you know, like gold drops on the ground and you your character runs over. Mm-hmm. And I remember all these different games where like duping would occur, where it was really, really easy to duplicate money supplies. And that means it's worthless. And so he had to convince, once he convinced me of that, I was like, there's something here. Um, but then the more I learned, I actually was like, wait a minute, the, the best probably has already come. Uh, this was just a few months after the Mt. Gox disaster and Bitcoin price dropped from like 1200 bucks down to like 400 down to like 200 or maybe even lower. And I was like, well, you know what? Um, I'm really excited about the space, despite the fact that we've probably already seen the all time high. Mm-hmm. Um, little did I know what was in store. Yeah. So was that in the first all time high, like that first run up in like 2013 or 2017? Yeah. Okay. In 2013, Bitcoin okay. went from about $7 to $1,200 by the end of the year. Yep. And that was the first time the world, I would say, really paid attention to Bitcoin. Before that, it was the province of like a random article on a tech site that no one paid attention to or very few people did. There are definitely still Bitcoin OGs that exist, but that was kind of the first class. And then in 2013, people took notice because people were becoming millionaires based on Bitcoin for the first time. And that Mm -hmm. became stories. It was like second life money was something that people had heard of before. And this was something kind of novel. so I had certainly been reading about Bitcoin 2013, but I didn't know much about it. I certainly didn't trust it. It required actually meeting a person in the space who knew what they were talking about. Someone like that uh, appealed to me, someone who was you know, well-educated, who was an entrepreneur, he had worked in private equity previously, who had mm-hmm. raised venture money. And I was like, okay, well, this guy who's sharp, he knows what he's doing. He says Bitcoin's real. That gave me the, uh, basically it convinced me that I should spend the time to learn about it. And then hearing, hearing, uh, understanding digital uh, scarcity, reading the Bitcoin white paper, I was like, well, shit, uh, I guess this guy Satoshi's onto something. Yeah. You know, the interesting about Bitcoin, I think most people overlook a little bit is that they focus so much on, you know, Bitcoin being a potential store of value, like so that have value, does it have digital value? Like, is it money? Is it the new gold? Um, but I think one of the interesting things that people kind of gloss over is the fact that it's opened up this whole idea that anything digital period, can have real, actual, tangible value. And that that's the new thing. Bitcoin is just, I think, the best damn use case of that. Um, and, you know, I think it's been pretty evident over the last decade, given the fact that it's the best performing asset of the last decade, um, that it's established, um, you know, this new digital age we're moving into, which is, you know, really important uh, to, to have and be able to say that something digital can be of value. Um, cause we're all moving into like virtual reality, augmented reality and robotics and AI and everything's just going to be completely digital in the future. So it's important to, I guess, establish that. I'm sure you probably agree. No, I, I 100% agree. I think blockchain for some reason is able to finally put a value on things that we knew had value, but you couldn't figure, put your finger on exactly how much mm-hmm. it's like data. People have been trying to figure out how to go and tokenize data for quite some time. It seems like low hanging fruit. And not everything has been successful so far, but we're getting really, really, really close. And some of the, I think some of the current approaches are going to work. It just requires 
a, a certain critical mass. But that's super interesting. I mean, if data is going to be the new oil, it needs to have value, real value. Like, so when you have a, an oil derrick in a field in Texas, right, like that can go and make someone, you know, uh, money. And then that can turn into a business that can turn into a multinational corporation and supply chains and all the side business that come with that. Data is going to be that too. Right now, we've only seen the very large corporations like Facebook and Google making money on that. But once we can see mom and pop shops and other companies in the mix somehow, that by itself is going to be truly revolutionary. You think like Facebook and Google, um, you know, some of the big tech companies were really the first pioneers into figuring out that, you know, things that are digital, like your information, stuff like that, details about you as a person or what you do um, and how they monetize that. Do you think that they're probably the first ones to realize that uh, something digital can have real tangible value? Because it feels like a lot of that stuff is obviously shifting into blockchain because it's more decentralized and it solves a lot of the you know big tech problems. But it feels like they kind of were there first and like really identified that, you know, something digital can have value. It's just putting it all together, I guess, and giving it a good use. Because before, I, I think you're, you're you're right. Those probably are the first class of companies to really make money on digital, on mm-hmm. something purely digital, as opposed to digitizing something that's purely tangible. Like Amazon and eBay got famous selling hard goods on the internet. Mm-hmm. And of course, now eBay is one of their top businesses is AWS, which is closing in on making money on pure digital. I mean, there's a high CapEx expenditure for those data farms and those clouds, but you, you see where we're going here. And, and more and more, the world is going that way. Music was another thing that we saw, you know, revolutionized the world as it's, as it's gone digital. Um, and now that's essentially a purely digital asset that exists. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing is, is proving true with art right now. And we're seeing that uh, take shape with NFTs where those are suddenly accruing tremendous value, whether it's overheated or not. I mean, I would argue that right now it seems a little bit so mm-hmm. uh, just there's a small amount of, of NFTs out there with better high quality, but right. uh, that's likely to change in the future. Yeah. NFTs are booming right now. It's, it's kind of funny because they were popular, you know, a few years back as well. You know, CryptoKitties especially really kind of kicked it off on Ethereum. Like, oh, you can do all this digital collectible type shit. And, you know, it's, um, it was really interesting, but it's like, pen to paper becoming more valuable. But in some ways, it's like, I feel like the idea of, you know, NFTs right now, it's still a little broken. Like it's not all put together. Like you're seeing million dollar purchases for a crypto punk. Like, what are you going to do with a crypto punk? I mean, I have nothing against crypto punks as I know them. They're awesome. But like, where's the tangible value in owning a crypto punk? I mean, from an art perspective, Maybe I can see that, but I feel like it's still early because I feel like there are a lot of things you can use NFTs for um, in real world use cases that will have far more value. Um, so I, it feels like we're kind of just scratching the surface using collectibles and gaming and stuff like that, which is great. Um, but it's also a good way to look at it and to know that it's still very, very early um, and that you know it's, it's not really rounded out yet, I guess, in my opinion. No, I think you're totally right. NFTs, for instance, for, for insurance claims mm-hmm. are really, really an, an interesting use case that has an enormous amount of value. People are finding ways to tokenize everything. Uh, you're, you're hearing right. a lot of that phrase nowadays. And NFTs are a great way to do it in something that's not a pure commodity. Do you have a favorite NFT? Uh, well, 
I do, uh, just because I, I've, I've been in the space for a little while. Uh, there's a guy who makes crypto kaijus, which I think are super, super fun. I've um, seen them. Yeah. And uh, so I've, I'm a huge fan of, of the work that they've been doing for quite some time. Uh, and uh, the team, team at Materium has also uh, built some really cool NFT collectibles um, as well. And actually worked with William Shatner on one, which I, was, uh, I thought was pretty exciting. Uh, we actually worked on the Decentraland project when it launched. And I thought that was a really cool use case, again, of NFTs with, you know, uh, land rights, et cetera. So um, big, big fan. But I think that to your point, we are just scratching the surface. Yeah. Do you have a, an opinion on virtual land bringing up like Decentraling? So there's a few different projects in the space like um, CryptoVoxels. I, I know Ben Nolan really well. Um, I've kind of been in that community for a while. Decentraland's pretty cool. Somnium Space. Um, and there are some others. Um but it, it feels like that's like a really another untapped area for NFTs, but potentially really important in the future. You know, if, you know, virtual reality becomes like a big thing, where are people going to go? Where are people going to invest their time? Are they going to have a virtual house or a virtual business? Are they going to do advertising? Um, yeah, kind of curious what you think about that. Because it's, it's really kind of the Wild West still, just like everything else in this space. I mean, this whole metaverse concept is just, it's kind of mind blowing. And that's yeah. probably why it's been the stuff of so many movies, Ready Player One, uh, et cetera, to some extent, The Matrix. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know where it's gonna go at all. What I am seeing are really, really smart entrepreneurs. And I, I'm very fortunate to be in this position where I get mm -hmm. to talk to young startups and more established companies, you know, growth stage businesses too. And we're seeing really, really smart entrepreneurs building companies where let's say NFT, NFTs are a really important part of the tech stack of what they're doing. Um, there's experimentation happening. Some of these companies are just going to kill it. Others, you know, might not work out in the end, but we're in a really interesting time where someone can just have a really good idea, team up with someone else who's you know, really good technically and has just sufficient, just enough chops and just enough experience. And those guys can, uh, or uh, that team, I should say, can, can build something great, can build a multi-million dollar business, you know, very quickly. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. You, I mean, you probably talk to them as much as I do at Waxman. Are, is blockchain like a huge focus for you guys because it's such a big, fast growing niche? Or do you guys also have other uh, sectors or industries that you um, work with in terms of companies? So we were born in Bitcoin. This is the place that Waxman was formed to be mm -hmm. a Bitcoin focused firm. And the vast majority of our business in some way, shape or form intersects with the space. But as we've grown, our clients have become more and more mature. And we do have clients in true financial services, in, in quote unquote, traditional fintech. Uh, we have clients that uh, are in, let's call it e-commerce or uh, exponential technologies that aren't necessarily blockchain, but the majority of our clientele are, are within this sector. Um, for what we do for them is traditional comms, strategy consulting, market entry. Um, we help clients, for instance, that may be in the US today, but want to enter Asia since Waxman has had an office in Singapore, for instance, for uh, it'll be three years this year um, with, with quite a large team. We can help companies uh, get, gain a foothold, for instance, in a totally new sector, um, help them establish themselves, help them hire people uh, and help them acquire customers and, uh, and users. So it's, uh, it's, it's the type of thing that, that's a growing business for us. Gotcha. It sounds like it's growing a lot. Um, actually, here's a good question. Is it um, you guys mostly international? Do you take on a lot of companies from different regions or you focus on a specific area like are you regional or so we waxman's offices in new york dublin mm -hmm. and singapore and the reason that they're in those specific cities 
is that we have the opportunity to work with companies in the time zones or similar time zones to where those uh, companies, or sorry, those offices are. So for instance, our US office um, is very often working with companies in Latin America. For instance, we work with Bitso, which is the largest exchange in in Mexico, um, in Argentina, as an example. Uh, We also work with a number of Canadian companies. And of course, lots of companies on the West Coast, Silicon Valley, et cetera. Our offices in Europe work with companies in Israel or Dubai, but and of course, Pan-Europe, and actually some companies that have verged into Africa. And our clients, our team in Singapore works with companies from Australia uh, through East Asia and South Asia as well. Have you guys seen like an uptick in demand for like PR in the crypto space? Because um, I definitely have. Like I, I've gotten like so many inquiries and I know I have other friends in the podcasting space as well or in crypto and they're getting tons of inquiries. And I feel like a lot of people are trying to jump on the on the the trend right now where everyone's you know excited about bitcoin and blockchain because it's all going up in the market and there's a lot of development um and it's like i just feel like for them maybe it's a really good pr opportunity so i'm kind of curious if you guys have seen like a spike since the beginning of the year what i found is there tends to be too high a correlation between bitcoin price and overall market interest and when i say overall market interest, i mean that things that should have no reason to be related to Bitcoin price. Like security token systems uh, should have absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin price. There's, they're barely related. Mm-hmm. Um, private blockchain implementations, same thing. And yet what we're seeing is total growth in the sector. And I would say there's like only a little bit of lag behind how the market's doing. Um, one thing that I'm hoping to see during this particular market cycle is an increased separation between market price and let's call it interest in the sector. And when I say interest in the sector, I mean not only new capital formation, but businesses forming, go-to-market strategies being implemented, products actually hitting you know people's iPhones and Android phones and computers, et cetera. Um, I, I'm hoping that we start seeing a separation between those things. And I'd say that would be a really good sign of a, a truly maturing market. Yeah, that, that would be a good sign. It, it kind of feels like a lot of the PR has like, picked up in the last couple months because like the last couple of years, it's um, we've had this crypto winter. It's been kind of slow. Um, like, how did you guys get through that? Like, did you guys get, get a lot of demand and business through that long, like two year almost crypto winter? Or um, like, I'm kind of curious because there was like, you know, a lot of news, and a lot of development that was going on during that time, but it wasn't necessarily as popular. Like, it didn't seem like news outlets were um, desiring that kind of information uh, to show to their audience. So I wasn't quite sure where the demand was, but like, um, I don't know, from your perspective, what were you seeing? Well, there's two sides to this. So from in Waxman's, let's call it traditional PR business, uh-huh. which, we do with, which we do with a lot of our clients. For us, from, um, one of the most important things that we, we have is relationships with reporters. And we do our very best to do temperature checks on how do media feel about blockchain? And we do this all the time. We've been doing this for years. Because let's not forget, Waxman was born in a bear market and actually at the end of a two, towards the end of a two-year bear market in, in Bitcoin. I mean, I started in the space at the very beginning of a two-year bear market uh, in mm-hmm. Bitcoin. And then there's you know, been a few cycles since. Sure. Um, reporters' interest all, seems to lag slightly behind Bitcoin price. And when I say that, there are trade publications, and God bless them. That's where you have a lot of reporters who are real experts in the space. But the top tier, you know who they are. I'm not going to say them out loud. Sure. Mainstream publications, they simply add more reporters to cover the sector when the market is hot, 
and they reduce the number of reporters who cover the sector. They call that the beat. It's, it's a news beat. They actually reduce the amount, the supply of those when the market is cold. Uh, and so you sometimes you'll see a lot of Bitcoin activity on traditional news shows and on, I'm talking about on television mm-hmm. or on uh, business networks. Uh, that's typically during warm cycles. Um, when it's when it's cold, you don't see a whole lot of that. So uh, we've certainly seen the media respond in that you know fairly logical way. On the on the business side, you know Waxman itself, we've been fortunately in the sector for quite some time, um, and I'm not saying it was easy. It's hard to build a business in in blockchain period, mm-hmm. uh, a business that depends on cash flows that you know pays you know a substantial amount of people, um, very good wages and good, good benefits. Uh, but we survived, and uh, you know, you learn lessons as as, a, as an entrepreneur in building a business in, in the sector, um, and you try to go and build on the lessons that you've that you've learned uh, for next time. Very fortunately, to your point, um, where the market's good right now, uh, there's a lot of interest in the space, and you know, we're definitely growing and hiring in every office. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are doing well. It's it's very true though. Blockchain is a very tough space to build a business in, um, and I've I've had the fortune to meet uh, lots of different people and CEOs and founders and owners and, um, you know, whatnot in, in the space. And they, they always have issues finding enough developers or finding enough people that have enough interest to stay long term, especially like in a bear market, like the last couple of years are pretty tough for a lot of startups. Um, and I think, think it's very, uh, an underrated thing. It, it's very similar to like the dot the dot-com bubble in a lot of ways it's like if you can make it through you know some of that that hype um that initial interest and then that like that downtrend and then once it starts becoming more relevant like it kind of feels now um and then your business is going to do pretty well because you're in a very new industry that's revolutionary really popular is going to have a lot of demand i, I see a lot of similarities there because it's just it was very uh it's a very hard crypto winner, I guess, to put it. I mean, it, it certainly was. We saw a drop off from $850 billion market cap in January or so, late December 2017, January 2018, to $100 billion in December. I remember when like Ether hit its all-time low, it was like around $84 per Ether token, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, in, around December 15. And I was at a conference in San Francisco, and all these funds, uh, a lot of them from Asia, were just like, what do we do? They had made you know, a lot of investments. They had LPs who had trusted them. And to be honest, actually, they made a lot of really good bets, as it turns out. It's just that the, the market was, was one thing after another. It was one punch after the next. Uh, and to your point, uh, it was very hard to survive. But those that did, they're doing really, really well now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hope is that they continue to be vigilant and smart entrepreneurs and you know, uh, protect their six. And if they, if they do, I think they're going to have very, very long and successful uh, careers and businesses. Yeah, absolutely. What about the pandemic? Because last year was pretty crazy. Um, like, were you guys able to navigate that okay? Were you guys able to like work remotely, or did you have things put in place so that you know uh, things didn't fall off the tables? It's kind of like a fifty-fifty thing. Uh, I hear some people uh, their businesses just had a really rough time and they barely got by, and they had to lay off people. And then the other half, they're like, "Oh no, we're fine because we're in blockchain. We just do everything remotely." and we actually got more done because we were developing the whole time. So I, f- I feel like there's an interesting balance there. But yeah, kind of curious, how did you guys end up getting through that? At first, it was really, really hard uh, for two reasons. Um, nobody wanted to sign a contract and you can't blame them at the beginning of the pandemic because no one knew if the world was effectively ending. 
Sure. Uh, and so we saw a few, you know, very rough months of this, in particular at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and it had some deleterious effects on morale. There's no question. Um, moreover, I've always been, well, since starting this company, I've been a big believer in decentralized technologies, but I was a big believer uh, before in centralized workplaces. I figured you need to be in the same place to get things done. You need to have a whiteboard. You need to actually have people in the same exact room, uh, especially when you're onboarding new staff members. So this way they can be trained by, by osmosis in a, a most efficacious manner. And the pandemic completely mm -hmm. prevented that. And so, although I loved the idea of everyone going into an office and, you know, we have had very substantial office spaces in, in all of our geographies, uh, suddenly that was kind of taken away and we've had, we had to kind of look at ourselves. The good thing is to your point, a lot of our clients were already working in a decentralized manner. And so some of the first phone calls I was making last March and April were to uh, my clients. And I was saying, how did you do it? How is it that you were working, how your finance team was working remotely, that your, you know, your, your, your dev shops were, or DevOps were working remotely, that your customer support were working remotely? How have you been doing this whole, whole time? And we did our best to kind of learn lessons from them. And then we implemented them across the agency. And it turned out to be very, very, very successful. Um, I think it's, it's the one thing that I'd say I'm still trying to figure out how to do is how to maintain, uh, let's call it culture mm -hmm. in a decentralized way. That's something that I don't think we've certainly perfected yet, but a lot of stuff we have, a lot of the, the, the let's call it the primary and fundamental elements of a picks and shovels business that we've kind of figured out. Um, if any of your, uh, the watchers, or, sorry, the audience members here today have ideas on how to go in and maintain a decentralized culture, I'm super interested. Yeah. What do you mean by decentralized culture? I'm sure they'll be interested as well, but I'm also curious because I don't know if I've heard that term before, but like, what do you mean exactly? So company culture is a lot more than just like, we believe in integrity and we believe in loyalty and we believe in X, Y, and Z. Sure. Company culture sometimes is the friendships and connectivity that are shared between people. And it's kind of like creates this organic type of uh, set of traditions. How do you maintain, cultivate, improve culture in a decentralized mm -hmm. way? People are literally living in different time zones, uh, aggregating on Zoom meetings, if that, um, sometimes it's calls. They have their own lives. They've got appointments. They're trying to get vaccines. Um, people are falling ill. They've got family members that they might have to attend to. Uh, and they're not convening in an office. How do you maintain that type of, uh, I don't know, tied together culture in this era? I mean, maybe it's something mm -hmm. you've had to you know, spend time thinking about, but I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah, I I think I have heard some other people, you know, comments on that as well. It is difficult. When especially like we went through a pandemic and everything's done remotely, everything's done over Zoom. It's like you don't have that same connection, you know, with the the people you work with in your workplace, and you know, um, you know, sometimes that can affect productivity. Sometimes that just can affect um, uh, it can affect integrity or just a number of things. But in my opinion, the the rudimentary solution is virtual reality, even though it's not really fully here yet, but. It, you know, if we had it during the pandemic and it was a bit further along, maybe where it's going to be at in the next four or five years, I think that would help solve the problem. So I've had some incredible conversations with VR um, and I've really, oh yeah, some incredible ones. And that's just using Oculus and the stupid Facebook chat rooms or alt space or whatever it's called. And they're really kind of shitty, but you can have like real, it feels like you're having an in person conversation you can see the hand gestures you can run around with each other and throw a ball and talk about blockchain and um, I, I don't know it feels 
kind of real and you can set up like meeting rooms and uh, sit down with clients or with uh, uh, colleagues in your company or go to a movie or see a basketball game with your friends. I personally think that that's the future of where we're going digitally because it'll just streamline our lives a lot more. It sounds like a an improved, to some extent, an improved version of what we have today. You know, mm-hmm. del- delivery services have certainly taken off. Um, we've seen some of these, let's call it virtualized businesses, if not virtual businesses that have done really, really well. Exactly. And you know, when this pandemic ends and, you know, knock on wood, it's going to end you know, sooner than later. Um, I, I do wonder how much business, traditional business is going to shift. But, I, you know, going back to kind of our conversation, I, I think that the crypto businesses or crypto is here to stay. And I say that because the pandemic has kind of been a perfect catalyst for reintroducing this to the mainstream. Um, the market notwithstanding, for the first time, you probably don't want to touch cash, physical cash. Right. Um, you want to physically hand it over to somebody else. Even a credit card feels... Uh, insufficiently digital. And so we've seen the rise, for instance, in Apple Pay and total virtual payments. Um, we've seen the rise in delivery services and anything that's like delivery. Um, and if anything could put the death knell on certain industry, like streaming, for instance, mm-hmm. put the death knell on movies and even traditional TV because people needed, to your point, something kind of on demand and brought to you. Maybe kind of encapsulating all of this in a virtual world will add literally new dimensions and figuratively new dimensions to the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's stickier, but um, I think we're already starting to see part of that. And, uh, you know, I think that, as I mentioned earlier, there's some really smart entrepreneurs in the space now who are probably going to figure out how to go and use crypto rails to improve on that virtual business experience. Absolutely. Yeah. It's in a nutshell, it's just about, you know, streamlining society. How can you make things faster, more efficient, um, cost less, um, more productive. So yeah, VR is one of those tools. Crypto is going to be a huge tool for that, um, especially in terms of like, you know, money and payment systems and remittance and things like that and tokenization, digital assets. Um, There's a lot that it can touch in in the real world, which is, again, why the space is so exciting. Absolutely, 100%. Um, And you, obviously, you have your finger on the pulse of the industry quite a bit because you're talking to these companies a lot and these new startups. And so you got a, probably a good feel for a little bit what's going on. Do you feel like this you know, current bull run we're in with the crypto markets and all this, um, this hype that's kind of driving this bull run and all the interest, the company money, uh, blah, 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 blah. Do you think that this bull run is coming to uh, ends pretty soon? Um, or do you think that there is a bit more to this, this spring or what's your opinion on, I guess, the current state of the market? I, I, I've got to tell you, it has grown faster than I could have imagined. I certainly would not have predicted $50,000 Bitcoin this soon. Uh, It sounds, it's incredible to me. I'm still blown away by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does feel like the market's overheated, but I could be completely wrong. And maybe it's going to three X. I have literally no idea. Um, I don't think anybody does. And uh, although, you know, you hear a lot of fund managers saying, well, we think it's going to 2x by this time. We had a client who has pretty good models for why there should be $100,000 Bitcoin mm-hmm. by Q3 of this year. And, and again, maybe that's the case. Uh, what I'll say is what I'm really excited about is what's being built as a consequence of, of the hot market. There's real, really smart people who are, don't ha- aren't taking a career risk by being in the blockchain space 
and then spending the months and years it takes to actually build sustainable businesses. That's happening now. I don't think that would have happened if if we were back in the you know total bear market. If Bitcoin you know went under sub a thousand dollars, I do wonder if people would be willing to go and invest their time into building on the technologies that have been built so far. Um, probably wouldn't happen, and that to me is the most exciting part. Yeah, in terms of you know the trends and things coming out of this bull run, this kind of igniting all this you know innovation, these ideas. Is there anything in particular that like strikes you or that you find really interesting or exciting, whether it's in the NFT space or just in cryptocurrency, like with Bitcoin or in, like monetary policy or um, in DeFi? I mean, there's so many things popping up right now. Is there anything in particular that makes you excited? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, a few things. First, I definitely think we're going to see, you mentioned remittances earlier, the true introduction of blockchain rails as a means of vastly improving remittance that is 100 happening it's super exciting um i'm i know that a lot of people say that you shouldn't but i am excited about cbdc's because it means more people are going to have digital wallets and let's just start there that is a win for everybody in the sector if people have digital wallets and use them and pay attention to them uh, i'm very excited about uh I, there actually is in part because regulators across the world um, they know their stuff. I think there's going to be a real progression on securities, uh, improvement of, of how securities are traded and settled, et cetera. Um, we've seen with the GameStop saga that there are, is a need, a desperate need for an improvement of stock markets. We've seen that. Uh, we've seen a perfect use case and example for this. And, and, and there's a reason why we've had companies endeavoring in that sector since 2015, right? Overstock, T0 being the first. And now we're seeing companies across the world, really smart businesses um, and stock exchanges themselves who are trying to figure out how to use blockchain to upend clearance, settlement of equities, fixed income, et cetera. So um, there's a lot of places I'm excited about. Creator coins, I think, are really cool. So we talked about NFTs before, but uh, I see a huge space for artists and musicians, uh, esports stars, et cetera, to kind of find a way to use tokens as a way to further engage with fans. It's really exciting. It, it provides something with, uh, you know, if you go to a concert and you get a guitar pick from uh, the, the guitarist, like that's your collectible. Maybe you buy a T-shirt and like those things, God willing, won't go away. But having something of your own, um, a new type of way to engage with uh, the people that you love and mass is, uh, is really cool. And that's something I think is happening right now. And then last but not least, I do think that we're going to see social networks using crypto as a means to better reward people. Mm -hmm. Steemit was the first company to do it in this space. Um, and I think there's a great idea. I think we're going to see some um, versions of that in the future that are going to take off because it has to be inevitable. You should get paid something for having an opinion, for inciting a conversation, for drawing eyeballs. You should have you should get compensated for that. And people are figuring that out now. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean, it'd be beneficial for both sides, actually. I, there, what's the project? BAT or basic attention token? They did a pretty good job with it too, and they're still around. And they have the uh... Raven now has more than twenty-five million unique visitors, or sorry, uh, application users. They are mm -hmm. doing really, really well. Um, and so, and yeah, that token is kind mm -hmm. of what powers a lot of that experience. Yeah, and I, they have the Brave browser too. I actually really like that browser. It's I know it's kind of a clone of uh, Chrome, but it works really well. Um, it's it's good privacy wise and uh, for work and everything. Yeah, I agree with your point, and I think it's good for both sides, not just for the user, but also for companies because it incentivizes them to do it in a right in the right way. 
And if you think about it, they're getting more accurate information. Like if like Facebook or Google or whatever, they're like being sneaky about trying to figure out what your favorite beer is. You know, they might be able to guess it, but they might not be 100% accurate versus having an uh, incentive for the user to, you know, uh, to monetize that information and go, oh, okay, well, if I tell you what kind of beer I like, I'll get a dollar for that in in Bitcoin or a token or something like that, right? Um, And then the company gets accurate information, uh, the, the user gets paid for their info and it's not stolen. You don't have issues. Advertiser is going to have better uh, analytics in terms of their reach because they're actually going to show you ads you want to see. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's going to be a really important area for social media. Definitely. No, I think we've got a very exciting 2021 ahead. Um, we're almost a quarter way through, but uh, there's the future is very bright right now. Absolutely. Before, uh, before we wrap up and everything, so I got to go in a few, um, where can people find Waxman online? Um, just, is it just the website? Do you guys have social media? Do you have a blog? Uh, where should people go? Yeah, just go waxman.com. W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N is a, .com is a good place to go. And then, uh, yeah, you can uh, see us on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, and we definitely want to hear from you. If you're interested in the sector, you got great ideas. If you got ideas on culture, please let me know. Um, and if you're looking for a position in the space that doesn't require you to be a developer, um, please hit us up as well. Awesome. Well, David, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast. A fun conversation. Really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, learned a lot about Waxman and a lot about you too. Uh, just a great talk overall. A lot about blockchain and crypto. And I think my audience will definitely enjoy it. Thanks, Brandon. Really appreciate it. All right, man. See you soon.